0: Lord you are good to us. You're a good you're a good God and forgive us when our interpretation of what good is is in the scope of what we want, what we would delight in, what we would we'd even uh, have falsely fallen for would would appease the deep desires of our heart when when the only thing that's going to really fulfill us is knowing you and being close to you. So we thank you, Lord, for your patience with us as your people, that you're loving and kind and patient. But you are looking to see us become uh, walk us walking close to you, walking in holiness and righteousness that only you can only assist us to even be remotely close. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in Jesus name. Amen. Say hello to those that are gathered around you and introduce yourself. Good morning. How are you? I'm Lance, pastor here at Falls Church. My wife is working with the kids this morning. She, I'm used to her preaching right there. So I'm used to her giving me that look like don't don't go any further with that. So uh, you could be in trouble today with um, li- with limited life. <laughs> there's Carl. Uh, yeah. So, Carl, you got a big responsibility. Because Joan has those looks that scare me. uh, And you've got a nice uh, countenance about you. I'm not scared of you yet, Carl. Um, I decided on an overall title as we continue to work our way through the rest of the book of Luke, the life and times of Jesus. My mind was stuck on this verse, not in Luke from Acts 17, that kind of describes the followers of Jesus, those that, or talked about as responsible for turning the world upside down. I think it's a pretty cool pretty cool statement. And I know we always think about like getting things right side up in God's way, but when truth lands in the midst of lies and deception, it's a real threat to the kingdoms of this world, to the to the ways of this world. And in Acts 17 it said, "But the Jews who are not persuaded becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, they set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out uh, to the people. But when they didn't find, they're talking about the disciples, when they didn't find the disciples there, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. When you declare the lordship of Jesus Christ over your life, over your family, over your home, over your work cubicle or your work trailer or your, your car, it is a direct threat to the kingdoms of this world. It's a pretty bold declaration. It says, verse eight, that they. They troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they had heard these things, that there was another king, that there was a Lord Jesus Christ. How many believe the Lord Jesus Christ should be declared over this city through our lives? Amen. So declaring the lordship of Jesus is a threat to every generation on the entire earth, every kingdom, every person, every ruler, every politician, every business owner. Every person who's building their own life, watching after their own affairs, every person desiring to mind their own business straight into H-E double hockey sticks. Every person God gave a soul and God loves needs a radical truth of Jesus, and it will upset business as usual. It will upset the normal or upset the food cart, as they say. There's too much on the line to sit quietly and mind our own business. So I've subtitled this under this title, "Upside Down." We're going to kind of keep over the next few weeks. I, I don't know. I think through Easter at least. But um, but my subtitle today is "Tragedy versus Tragic." Okay. We're moving from Luke chapter 12 to Luke chapter 13. And really, don't get too stuck on the words because really, tragedy and tragic they're kind of the same thing, really. But uh, it's a little bit like um, when you're using a word and you say to somebody, "Let me tell you the story," this crazy story, and then they say, "You think that's crazy? You sh- listen to this." So they're still talking about crazy, but they're measuring it to another form. You know what I'm saying? So, Doug and Don had were over at our house last Sunday night, and they told us about a neighbor who had been involved in a domestic uh, incident, and um, then. Uh, Last week the the guy involved passed away, right, Doug? He died in jail in, in, in incarceration when well he was incarcerated. And not too far from my house, like behind my house, there are a section of apartments. Uh, it wasn't too many months ago. Do you remember that guy they found w- with apartment filled with like guns and rifles and pistols? He had like four thousand weapons in his <laughs> apartment. Not quite that many, but hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> and uh, you know, most of us, you know, hear about certain things, and then when it's right in your neighborhood or somebody that you know, like it brings another level of, uh, uh to you about like, wow, this is r- weird that these kinds of things that you hear about, like on the national news, is something that's like happening outside of our door, uh, down the street and around the corner. Most of the real mega dramas unfold. Far away from us, like a bombing in France or a tsunami off the coast of Africa, an earthquake in Central America, a shoot, a shooting of an army base on the East Coast or West Coast, and an explosion in Boston. And the closer that something happens to us, the more surreal and that the brevity of life becomes. And sometimes all these wacky things happening all around the country and the globe. Makes us feel at times like we're kind of safe here in this little place of, you know, the Sioux Falls. Can you say metropolitan area? What would you say? The Sioux Empire? Giant empire. Who is ruling this empire, by the way? Sounds intimidating. But I'm glad I live in South Dakota, not Los Angeles. You know, uh, I'm not frightened by the hood of Brandon. It doesn't raise suspicion or shock like those straight out of Compton might. And thank the Lord for sparing us from some kind of Columbine experience because prior to the school massacre, I had never heard of Columbine. And now it's a descriptor, descriptor used to describe tragedy and evil cast upon you know the innocent just going to school. It seems like every time that Someone dies an unpredicted death. That questions are asked. Did this have to happen, right? And what if the warnings would have been given earlier than the warnings? I mean, I, they gave a lot of ur- warnings to Katrina. But what if some those people that didn't listen? What if they had listened to the warnings? What if the FBI would have followed up on that lead before the big crisis? What if? What if they would have taken? Better care of themselves. How many know you've said goodbye to some people and you thought, wow, they didn't take that good care of themselves. If they if they you know, what if they he drank less Mountain Dew and ate broccoli? He could have lived another 20 years. That's probably what they'll say about me one day. You know, like if you would have just ate broccoli, if you would have just stopped drinking Mountain Dew, if you've been around me when I'm drinking Mountain Dew, by the way, orange juice is on the ingredients. So. I'm just saying, you know, I try to get natural things in my body. (laughs) What if the doctor would have discovered this sooner and had done a different procedure? Maybe mom or dad would still be here. What if somebody would have properly braced that wall before the brick wall came down and down by Phillips Avenue and, and the wall collapsed? What if the what if teachers carried firearms when we were in Israel? We were visiting the valley of Elah, where it said that the Philip Philistines had lined up on one hillside and and the armies of Israel were on the other. And that little guy, David, came out into the valley. Right. And he grabbed a rock and he said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And he threw that little Holy Ghost rock and sunk into the forehead of Goliath, you know, like his nose fell into his throat, his eyes, I- his ears touched each other in the back, you know, spaghetti splattered on the camera, the whole thing. Joan's not here. Carl, I'm looking to you. Okay, Carl, give me that look. That's enough. And uh, I'm in the Valley of Elah, and so I thought I was being kind of cool, like, well, I'll grab a few of these rocks. And I gave some of them to you, and I wrote on there the Valley of Ela. Then I found out, like, everybody does that. They import rocks, and they dump them in that valley. So when all us tourists come – because because everybody goes to Israel, and uh, I mean, everybody wants to go. It's a short list for a lot of people. So millions of people are going to Israel, right, and visiting these sites, and they're grabbing the little stones, and they ran out of them. So they just bring truckloads in, and they dump them there, and then we all go like rocks from the Valley Vila, cool, this is where David, and Gly- you know, but it's still kind of cool. I did get them from there, and you know, that kind of thing. So we were there, and there was a group of uh, – there was a class of kids that were on a field trip. They were also there visiting the same spot. but they, And, and there, so they were about 10 years old, so you could kind of tell who the teacher was, although he was a pretty young and kind of hip-looking dude with kind of long hair and a cool beard. So that kind of gave it away. I know some of you had beards in middle school, and, you know, uh, I was always scared of people like that because I was like three foot nothing in middle school. And but anyway, um, so this guy was kind of cool looking, but and Joan goes, "Hey, look at that! Look at the teacher over there." And I'm like, "What about him?" She goes, "Look behind him," and he had an M16 strapped around his back while he was taking the class on a little field trip. <laughs> you know, when you're in Israel, you know, surrounded by. Islamic nations that want to kill you and you're this little tiny dot surrounded by nations that think, treat, talk about you like you're a dog and you deserve death and you you send your kids to school. You want to make sure the teacher can protect your children. So the parents probably chipped in on a really good automatic rifle for their teacher to take them on a field trip. What if. No matter what the precautions are, no matter the security, things happen. And whether it's from negligence or evil intentions, it's confusing for those of us who remain, who try to bring sense to tragedy. And it's confusing for those of us who are trying to make sense of this world and what's happening all around us and what we hear about. And last week in we read from Luke chapter 12, and now this week Luke chapter 13, and in Jesus' day, there were confusing tragedies too. Things that didn't make sense. That that when Jesus shows up here in Luke chapter 13, the people that are there began to ask him a question. They say, Verse 1. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, I've never preached on this verse before, but I want you to notice a couple things. The word Galileans and and Pilate and their sacrifices. So their sacrifices is attached to the Galileans, okay? Jesus shockingly broaches a time where evil lashed out against some of the people of God that these folks knew they obviously was a was some kind of tragedy that they were aware of that they wanted the sage or the teacher Jesus talk about this help us understand why this happened the history books like Josephus they don't give us any information and this is the only place in any of the gospels where this little incident where pilate had mixed the blood of the galileans the the with the with the sacrifices to the lord so they were obviously had gone somewhere like the temple to bring their sacrifice to the Lord. And uh, when they were killed, it was said that then Pilate had mixed their blood with the sacrifices they had brought to the Lord, like they had come to worship. And then they were uh, probably, you know, executed for for some reason. But there were stories of Jews who were killed in the temple, bringing their sacrifices to the Lord. But not these this specific light that we know for sure what What they're asking Jesus some believe that Pilate and Herod were feuding and flexing their muscles and made an example out of some innocent worshipers and uh, you know uh, that they're participating in the most sacred act of worship coming to the temple and bringing a sacrifice for their sins and Pilate slaughtered them there known as Galileans and Jesus was from that area and they asked the Lord if he had heard about what happened and what Pilate did and they were looking for an answer. Why did this happen? No matter what happened, you know, they they were looking to understand it. And Jesus answers. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will you, too, will all perish. See, some scholars believe that the using this word Galilee, you know, that, that it was from Judas, the Galilean, that. Caiaphas says an uprising happened, and his followers were killed. and And that Pilate, being enraged, you know, sent to, sent a band of soldiers to kill these followers of Judas the Galilean uh, uh, while they were at the Passover or or giving their sacrifice at the temple. Uh, and that maybe Jesus, uh, who the Galileans were, kind of an anti. Don't give your taxes to Caesar, like stay true and don't bow down. And and Jesus had already gone on record saying give to Caesar that which is Caesar. So maybe there's conflict in their philosophy and theology thinking, yeah, these guys were sinners for doing this. Jesus clear this up for us. Other New Testament references using the word Galilean are simply referred to as these people are from Galilee. That's it. But it, it really doesn't matter because Jesus raises what Jesus does is say raises even a bigger question. Jesus is addressing their concern with a bigger concern, their tragedy. And he's saying, you know, you think that's a tragedy? Let me tell you what is really tragic. Okay, you're thinking about how this all came about. But let me clear the air for you of what the big issue is. To me, it seems predictable that the incident with Pilate involved politics, power, greed, hatred, death, they all go together, and how God works through all this is confusing, and who could blame those folks for asking Jesus, what do you think about this, this massacre, what do you think about it, and Jesus takes their question to a whole new level, do you think they died because of their sin, and do you think you're alive because you're holy, is that what you think, like you think you're good so you're here, and they're not here because uh, they were bad. And Jesus says, "You are in no better shape than they are. You are sinners in need of repentance, in need of a, a turnaround in your life and Jesus takes it off the political power slaughter of the Galileans by Pilate, and he brings up a catastrophe in their day, one seemingly random. So Jesus gives them another example of some people who died, not just ones that might have been confusing. Well, they shouldn't have been doing that, or they shouldn't have been doing this. They shouldn't have been doing that. Look at verse 4. Jesus continues, and he brings up another catastrophe that looked kind of random and unpredictable. Or, Jesus says, verse 4, those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So this this tower randomly falls. And 18 people are under there going. What? And the Jews, and us as well, want to make sense when destruction and chaos happens. When we read about it, when it flashes in front of our news program, when it permeates the news sources that we click on. And Jesus says, Those killed in the collapse, do you think they're worse sinners than the others living in the area? I'm sure they all knew some of the people in Jerusalem. This happened in Jerusalem because Jesus says Jerusalem. We don't know the exact site, which tower it was, but we do know that it happened and everybody there was aware of it. And Jesus is bringing up another incident. And he says, you know, all you think these they were worse sinners, that this collapsed on them. They were killed than all those in Jerusalem. When he says all those in Jerusalem, so you got all these Romans and political leaders and power, and then you've got the the nation of Israel and the temple of the Lord where it would have been like the holiest men of Israel were also there uh, often serving and working and ministering uh, in the Lord's temple. And Jesus said, do you think these people are worse than all these others? And Jesus paints with a broad stroke and says clearly, no way. Did they deserve it because of their sin? No, but the tragedy and what is really tragic, Jesus is saying, is those that just are going about their business as business as usual. And there's no repentance. There's no turning to the Lord. Being spiritually dead is what Jesus says is is infinitely Physical death. And they had their—had they turned from their sin, had they t- sought the Lord, it would have brought meaning to anyone and everyone, regardless of the length of their life. Laura, can you come? I don't have a lapel to grab. Laura, I was thinking, how do I grab this thing? No matter how and when they die, eternal death and eternal life. Tragedy or celebration is on the line for all of us. Will you stand with me? Lord, we have a lot of issues. If we started airing our issues or writing down our grievances like Festivus celebration, I know that you would trump them and say, you know what the real issue is? That my people uh, seem bored. They don't seem to be They don't seem to be laying down their life. They don't seem to be passionate about me. They don't seem to have turned and found the hope in a relationship with God and knowing their sins are forgiven, knowing they're free to worship, knowing that they've found the treasure of life in Jesus. That's the real issue. Lord, help us. Give us a heart of repentance and service in Jesus' name kinda continue here a little bit so we make use of our time and we're still gonna share communion together today, but if you're to pick a tragedy, any tragedy, it probably crosses our mind is this a uh, judgment from heaven for you know, is this a curse from heaven for sin? Is or is evil lashing out? Is it a result of sin in the world and evil is lashing out, and kinda splashing on innocent or others associated with him, and it seems like Jesus could answer this the same way over and over again. That the big issue is hearts turn to the Lord. Turn from your sin and cling to God. And what does that look like? Well, Jesus kind of describes it in the next verses. I'm just reading kind of from Luke 13 today. Then he told this parable, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went out For fruit on it. And he didn't find any. So he said to the man. Who took care of the vineyard. For three years now. I've been coming to look for fruit. On this fig tree. And I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it. Why should it use up the soil. Sir the man replied. Leave it alone for one more year. And I'll dig around it. And fertilize it. And if it bears fruit. Next year fine. If not. Then we'll cut it down. The balance of. The grace of God and service to God is is difficult for us to process. We're not saved by works, but how could one be close to God and not bear fruit, not have the results of godliness kind of oozing out of our pores out of. That's why Jesus uses a tree kind of like out of our branches. You know, if you think about your your arms as branches, that. There should be good erupting out of your life. There should be those that kind of find support from you in your life and what God has done in your life. Where is the life giving presence of God flowing out of your body? Can it be seen? Or is it just something only God can see? I know the, the it's a little foggy, but it was too cute and Is all your energy just taking care of you and taking care of your family, taking care of your business instead of God's business, your passion, your hobbies? And God is a boring duty. Jesus is saying, cut down the trees that are supposed to be filled with life and sustaining those that are around them. But instead, they're just taking up space without fruit of righteousness erupting out of them. No one is being blessed and supported because of them. Chop them down and use the wood for fire, at least. I don't think it's a random time slot that Jesus says for three years. Like he was that was the time length of his ministry He's going throughout the kingdom. He's going throughout the people of God. And he's not he's not seeing this this heart and fervent passion for God and and the selflessness of sharing with one another and and putting others before themselves. Everyone's doing their own thing. Everyone's filled with self preservation. Verse 18, Jesus asked them, What's the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and it became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the whole dough. (coughs) That it's life giving. That from a little tiny seed becomes this giant tree that provides shade and life and bird's nests and people, people, people gathering underneath it. He mentions yeast here, last chapter and twelve. <coughs> he mentioned the yeast of the Pharisees as a sinful thing because sin in, in its little court it spreads and infects like a viral taking over, and Jesus is saying it's the same with the kingdom of God. That when God is truly planted in you, it won't just stay there as one little tiny seed. That that too is organic and it's going to erupt and it's going to take over and it's going to explode out of your life. And the more Jesus talks, the more obvious to the folks that they're stuck in a pattern of self and sin. that, That their energy and provision for themselves has taken over their thought life. And it's a tough challenge and people are looking at themselves and and here in verse twenty three, someone asked Jesus another question because he's figured out like we're in trouble here. Like when we hear the words of Jesus, what it's supposed to be like, we're in real trouble. And obviously not many of us are going to make it. He looked into his own heart and he knew the people that he worshiped with and and he did the math. And he says someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved because he He's looking around going, uh, nobody's going to make it. There must be just a few really righteous people probably in the temple, he's thinking, or far away from all the other people that they've isolated themselves and they've been able to live holy and not stumble. and, And Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading and saying, Sir, open the door for us. But he'll answer, I don't know you or where you came from. And you'll say, we ate and we drank with you and we w- and and you taught in, in our streets. But he'll reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, all you evildoers. And there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first will be last. And We live in a dispensation of grace that things have changed since Jesus took our sin upon him on the cross. But do you think that means that Jesus did all the work and you do nothing now? Because if we if he did all the work on the cross and we do nothing, aren't we just as guilty as those people you walked throughout and said, I don't see anything coming out of your lives. I see you just existing and taking care of yourself. You're just building your own life and taking care of number one and Jesus is still looking for the fruit, the fruit of righteousness coming out of your life. I'd never eaten a pomegranate before, like pomegranate, you know, juice and all that kind of stuff. And I was at my daughter's house and cracked one open. She's like, Dad, try this pomegranate. I said, I've never seen that. I'm like, what is uh, pomegranate? I did not know. And she's like, you'll like it. Uh, uh, And, you know, like she's like, it's kind of fun. You pull out these little things. And I was like. These are sweet and tart and delicious. I've never, why do we not have them, you know? And so, John, after that, after Christmas of being up in the cities and having, the pomegranates are really good, aren't they? Kind of fun, too. Really cool. And Jesus is still looking for fruit from us, a people filled with life. That your life, that that there, there ought to be enough that people are, kind of gathering around you, that there's people that you're able to provide for. You're not just taking care of yourself anymore. Like the Lord is working through you that you're able to help others, that it's not contained, it's not hidden, it's not just for your own uh, uh, preservation, that I'm going to make it to heaven. I believe if you ask God for ways for that fruit to come out of your life, that he will... He'll show you. He'll give you opportunity. Because I know if you're like me, you're like, if I just knew exactly what to do to please and honor God, I'd do exactly those things. And yet, um, I think all we have to do is pray and ask for the opportunity and then be willing to follow through and give of our.